Oh, I know what my uh, my sign off is going to be this week. What? You'll find out. <laughs> okay. It's a surprise. Welcome to episode 341 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, I like these short episodes. I'm digging them. I would like to know if other people also dig them because we've ranged from hour and a half to last week's was what, 27 minutes? Something like that. Yeah, 24 and change if you're a Patreon supporter. Yeah, I think feel like that's better somehow I, I don't know maybe proportionally it ends up being a little heavier on like follow-up and tweets and stuff but it seems more maintainable and manageable to like have shorter episodes and then i imagine now with everybody working from home and perhaps listening to podcasts less they might appreciate having something a little bit more condensed well we we mentioned that we think people are listening to podcasts less but the the vocal minority spoke up and let us know that there are still people who who are out there listening very much enjoy yeah. the listening so we're not talking into an empty room right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and we, yeah, we'll, we'll keep making episodes don't worry we're not going away but they might just be a little bit shorter so yeah. that I can stay sane. Well, on that note, let's jump in. So we have some new, very important pixels this week. Yeah. Thank you. And huge shout out to Rodrigo Antonio de Lima. Is that one one name? Yes. You said them so spaced out that I thought it might have been three separate people. Right? No, I'm trying to be very, as articulate as possible. We got some <laughs> names coming up. Uh, okay. All right. Rodrigo Antonio de Lima. Arcadius Bartnick. Hello, Hill. Steffi, Alvin, who, Daniel, no last name. By the way, on this one, the names that we get are coming from your Patreon profile. So if you don't have a last name on your Patreon profile, all I can say is Daniel. <laughs> so thanks, Daniel. <laughs> Regardless of what your name is, your name could be Susan and we'll still call you Daniel. Yeah. Um, this is a vector for abuse if you do name your <laughs> Patreon profile something. Um, and then finally, shout out to Mark McEwen. Mark was suspicious that we might murder his last name, but hopefully that's close. McEwen? Yeah, I think we nailed it. All right. Uh, If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast. For just a dollar a month, uh, you get access to special bonus land. Bonus land. Bonus land. Episodes of Design Details. We have three so far, and we'll have another one at some point soon. We've we've got time for Bonus Land 4 coming up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, sponsor-free episodes. If you will go to patreon.com slash designdetails, you can support us directly there. Again, just a dollar a month. So thank you, everyone, for supporting the show. Thank you. And uh, some people in there are, are supporting more than a dollar. So thank you so much to everyone who's pitching in. We appreciate that. Uh, yeah, speaking of someone who's uh, <laughs> giving us more than a dollar every month, uh, Katerina Blind, famous from last episode, Scarlett Johansson as Katerina Blind, upped her uh, monthly contribution from $1 to $1.28, <laughs> which I wholeheartedly appreciate. Yeah. It's a, isn't it fucked up that 128 is a rounder sounding number than 100 to me? It is a nice round number. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is very funny to just look at $1.28. I don't know why, um, but it makes sense. Okay. Thank you, uh, everybody. All right. We have a little bit of follow up as well. We heard from Samuel Bernhardt, longtime friend of the show. Sam says, love the discussion around Figma file organization and handoffs. It's nice to know that other people are doing the same silly hacks and workarounds. And yes, I'm still listening to the podcast. These are a few of my latest iterations in keeping organized. And Samuel has 
a couple screenshots of Figma organization tips. So the first is using basically divider pages in the pages list to section off types of pages. Yeah, that's what I was talking about with the line, right? Mm-hmm, like having exactly. a line in your page. Yeah, this is this is exactly what I was talking about. Thank you for illustrating. By the way, on this note, I had a couple back and forth tweets with uh, Rasmus on Twitter, who's a designer at Figma. And uh, we talked about this lack of page structure is really painful, like the lack of ability to sort of either nest or organize or divide. So maybe something will come there. Hopefully we can make enough noise around this. Um, And then the last thing that Sam has a screenshot of is just using like text layers on the canvas itself to sort of group like content. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thanks for the tweet. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes for anyone who wants to see those screenshots. All right, and we have some tweets this week. We do. So much encouragement, Brian. I know. So, so much positive vibes coming our way. Yeah, this is nice. I needed it. It's been a long week. Uh, so <laughs> yes. we had some good tweets. This one, uh, first one comes from this Bramish who says, as a starter, I learn a lot from design details. This podcast is, all caps, gold, exclamation point. Gold. Gold. <laughs> I like Gold. gold. Uh, we like you. We also <laughs> heard from Elvin, who who uh, became a very important pixel this week. Elvin says, design details is what's keeping me sane during this crazy time. Wow, I'm glad it's working for somebody. I'm losing my sanity, but I'm giving it to someone else. So uh, yeah, it all evens out. It's a zero-sum game, Brian. Slowly siphoning our sanity off into the void. <laughs> my life force. We also heard from Ben Dunn, who says, Hi there, all the way from New Zealand. Not an actual designer myself. I don't know what that means. No, that's okay. Not an actual designer myself, but a massively excited fan of design. And recently, of your podcast. Nice. Discovered it through the 100 p.m. podcast, and you've since become my quarantine listening of choice. Thank you both tons. Smiley face. Wow. That's awesome. That's one thing I love about this podcast. It's not just for designers. People who are just interested in design can get something out of it. Maybe we should rename the podcast. Design details and other things relevant to people who aren't necessarily designers. Yeah, yeah. Concise. Succinct. I like it. All right. And uh, our final tweet, Katerina, you're getting your third shout out. Katerina Blind said, just listen to the newest episode of your amazing podcast and it made my day. And that's, I think, when we got that... uh, bump up from a dollar to a dollar 28 so (laughs) (laughs) yeah shout out katarina blind thank you we just have to compare all of our listeners to one superhero or another (laughs) create a uh, an entire lore around their name and uh then we'll just bump up our patreon contributions accordingly thanks it's easy it's a simple solution it's a simple formula brand at some point we'll need a wiki though (laughs) it's true we have to keep track of it yeah Oh, boy. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tweeting at us. We appreciate those tweets. They are golden rays of sunshine for Marshall and I in this, I don't know, cabin fever time. <laughs> yeah. Are you tired of being at home, Marshall? Um, You'd think so. <laughs> <laughs> You're like in your still in your zone. Yeah. I mean, I I will be happy when this is over because not so much that I want to leave the house it's just that there there are comfort aspects of my life that are less available now than they are in normal business times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to everything going back to normal. <laughs> but uh, in the short term, like at least I'm not an extrovert. Can you imagine people who like Ooh. need to go to parties to feel good? Oh, you boy. know, oh boy, I'm not that. Yeah, but I I feel bad for those people because they're not getting the um the recharge that they need, right? I recharge by being alone. Other people recharge by being with other people. Yep, that drains me. But being alone drains them. So yeah, 
Well, we can do this one thing, I guess. This is kind of our steady check-in every week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just close your eyes. Imagine we're sitting on the couch with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, just chatting. Just chatting about this, some design stuff. Speaking of which, uh, there's some news this week. Yeah. Some leak sauce coming through the internet. God, I've been waiting for this forever, Brian. I've been talking about this for so long. I just want it to happen. So Apple put out a video on YouTube where it's a support video. And in that support video, they accidentally leaked a screenshot of the settings app that contains a string that talks about find my iPhone and it references a product called AirTags. Mm-hmm. What is this? Yeah, we know about this. So we've been talking about this for, I feel like a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this has been kind of known that this is coming, especially since iOS 13 came out and they made it a lot easier for low energy Bluetooth sharing of like for find my iPhone, et cetera. So even if your iPhone isn't on, it can continue to like talk to other iPhones to let you know where that device is. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense uh, if you're building a tile like product and that was the speculation and people thought they were going to be called air tags. And lo and behold, we have evidence directly from the company itself that like, yes, they are going to make a tile killer. I look forward to what this is like. All of the mock-ups I've seen of what these things look like is like kind of a convex circle, if that makes sense. So imagine like a poker chip that ate too much. Okay, yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's kind of like a a discus or something like that. But (laughs) that's not a great shape. The nice thing about tiles is they're flat on both sides, so you can stick them to stuff, right? And if you have a convex bulge on both sides of this circle, first off, a circle isn't always necessarily the best shape for it. But even then, you kind of want it to be flat so you can stick it on a remote, put it in your wallet, or you know any number of things that you would want to do, small enough to even put on a key or something like that, right? So hopefully the mock-ups that we've been seeing are just artistic license gone wrong, and these things will be designed better as far as like industrial design goes. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that not only is are they real, but they're probably imminent if they have strings in app. That means that they're probably yeah. going to come out soon. The weird thing, though, is our normal schedule of Apple events has been disrupted. So now we're kind of just getting random drops. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, hey, here's a new MacBook. Enjoy. Do with this what you will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. New iPad. Yeah, here's a new iPad. Uh You can buy it now, I guess, (laughs) instead of all the pomp and circumstance Mm -hmm. and like the fucking stats updates of like, you know, here's how our stores are doing. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, here's here's the products. There's a page for the store. Go buy it. I kind of like it, but I also I I know that Apple events are kind of just like this twice a year check in where nerds can just sit on their couch for an hour and like enjoy the the whole pomp and circumstance of it. Mm -hmm. And not having that does feel like something's missing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like a movie, you know, it's like the, part of the fun of sitting through an Apple event is the tension of like, are they going to say my pet project that I want them to be working on? Is it coming out now? Are they even considering it, et cetera? And like, you get to be surprised by that stuff. So it's like, it's almost like a thriller. It's like watching a thriller. <laughs> God, oh, this is so dorky. <laughs> yeah. But somebody can, now it's just like, like, oh yeah. Um, the killer was Jason's mom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like as a headline on The Verge, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, but I wanted to watch the movie, though. <laughs> we'll get back there someday. Yeah, someday. All right, let's dig into uh, a main topic for today. Yeah. We have uh, a listener question that is actually very, very old. But 
the title was recently edited in a way that drew our eye back to it. So uh, we have a listener question from Pavel Sisiak, who asks on our GitHub issues, a couple of episodes back, you said that creating experiences is a lot harder than creating interfaces. Could you expand on this topic? Could you list some examples of common mistakes when creating experiences? What are some UX mistakes that are counterintuitive and prevalent? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a great question. And we sat down and we we're like, yeah, this will be easy. And then we we're like, oh, fuck. okay, <laughs> let me think. Hmm. But we have a list of 10 things. We have 10 counterintuitive UX examples. And we're going to share them with you now, Brian. Yeah, well, we should also say up front that these 10 are certainly not exhaustive. No. But as we were coming up with these, we were like, oh, man, I, I wish we could think of more. So this is where we turn it over to people who are listening. If you can think of more, you should tweet at us because this is a fun list to just like a little brain teaser. Like, what is counterintuitive when I'm designing stuff? Like, I was pulling up everything I've ever designed, like looking at apps. And, <laughs> Did I make a decision that like was a weird decision to make? But anyways, uh, let's dig into our list. Well, once you internalize these things too, it's it's hard to remember like, oh, I know this because the other thing is the wrong thing to do, right? Mm, yeah. It's like eventually it just becomes ingrained knowledge that you don't ever have to think about. So now it's like, oh yeah, which of the things that I know are true were counterintuitive initially? All right, so here's our list. First off, this is the one that immediately popped into my mind that's really tough and there isn't a great way to do it. But I've kind of called it statefulness of an icon. So I guess the kind of canonical example of this would be mute. And it's it's the problem of, does your icon indicate the current state of that feature? Or does it indicate what state the feature will be in when you tap that button? So f- for example, with mute, do we show a microphone with a slash through it while you're unmuted to let you know that you can click on this thing to mute? And then while you're muted... Do we just show a regular microphone? Like, there's that kind of disconnect of like, which is the right one? Do you have an opinion on this, Brian? I struggle with this all the time, and I've I do have my own answer, which is you can't use the icon alone. You have to add in either other interactions or uh, a text label or some sort of additional visual signifier to the icon, mm-hmm. like a background tint or something. Exactly. This a selection state, right? It doesn't change the icon. The icon is always the same, but you use some sort of container around it with a tint color, like you said, to say like, okay, this is pressed down. This is active. You don't use the icon itself. Yeah. And and for me, the the pairing of an interaction is like a toast or some sort of something that happens that indicates what you just did. So for example, confirmation message. Yeah. Uh, this is a problem for us on, on GitHub on the mobile app is you can subscribe or unsubscribe from notifications on an issue. And I, I faced this problem when adding an icon to the nav bar, mm-hmm. the solution that we ended up at, which I don't think is still fully correct is the icon indicates the state of what your current subscription status is. Mm-hmm. But when you tap it, it, displays a toast that will say unsubscribed or muted or something like that. Like it'll say what you just did and then the icon will flip to show what's going to happen if you press it again. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's correct, but this is really hard. I think if you added in like a third sort of, yeah, visual signifier, like a background or something, it would make it even more clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another example of when I've seen this kind of counterintuitive thing, and this is more obviously wrong, but uh, expand and collapse chevrons. So you have 
a section that can expand and it's got like a little V-shaped down chevron. Uh huh. And when you click it, the chevron flips around and points up and expands whatever that section is below. But I've also seen it flipped around the other way where when the thing is collapsed, it shows the chevron pointed up instead of down, showing you the state rather than the result, right? Yes. That one's a little bit more obvious. Like your your collapsed state should be a down chevron. Your expanded state should be an up chevron. But uh, that's easy to mess up. I feel like you could even go a little bit further down that one because the question is, should you use a chevron or should you use a triangle? Because especially in the mobile context, chevrons tend to be indicators that tapping this thing will push to a new view. Mm-hmm. And a triangle it might be a more clear icon that there's collapsed content. Yeah, filled triangle. That's fair. I guess it de- depends on your design system, but yeah. Instead of up and down, what about facing to the right and then down? So just a 90-degree transition. Yeah, you can do that too. And that that's a little bit bait and switch, right? Where it's like, oh, I think I'm going to go to a leaf page. I'm going to push a new page onto this view. But really, it just turns 90 degrees and expands in place, which... You know, once it happens the first time, people understand. But I think that might actually even be better because you're almost tricking the user to do something and expect a certain thing, and you're giving it to them in a way that they didn't expect. But also, you're you're satisfying the goal that they had, which is like, show me more about this one thing. And if the signifier of of show me more is something that's more commonly understood, like a right facing chevron then you can kind of trick your users into doing the right thing or understanding what the state is without having to explain it with a text label or anything like that. Of course, the most obvious thing to do here is just to have a text label that says expand and collapse or more (laughs) or less, right? Apple does this a lot. I think Uh Twitch does this too. Show more, show less. Yeah, I think that we'll come back to this because we have a a few more similar things here. But In general, text is more clear than an icon by itself. Indeed. All right, we've spent enough time on that first one, but that was the first one that popped into my mind. Uh, Another one that popped into my mind is a time when you have a binary option or a small, small number of options in a leaf page. So, for example, I'm choosing between two different modes, right? And a lot of times especially if in the, if that's in settings, you would expect to tap on that row and it would push a new sheet and give you two options and one of them would have a check mark next to it, right? But this isn't always the best thing because those two options are likely at the very, very top of the screen and that makes them harder to reach and you're going to have to tap on one of them and then swipe back. It's like a two-gesture thing rather than if you were to use, say, a bottom sheet or an action sheet or something like that, that shows up in place and is small enough that you can contain all of the options that you have, but it's a one-tap gesture, right? You would think that you would want to follow your common default settings you know, behavior of there's a row and it presents a new sheet, but in certain circumstances, you want to make that interaction way more obvious and easy for the user. So following the, the common model isn't necessarily the right thing to do. Yeah. I think the common model is certainly easier to build, but you're right, like it it ends up just being a lot more work. And anytime you have a binary choice like that anyways, it almost seems like you should try and work yourself into a way where the binary choice is something more akin to like a toggle um, or a radio selection mm-hmm. of like a grouped 
set of, of options rather than pushing to a new view. Yeah, Apple does this on Apple TV. So on Apple TV, there are certain settings that you can change that are binary. And instead of taking you to a separate page to choose between those two things, that row just toggles its detail the, text, the text on the right, on the right side right, yeah. of the row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just toggles between the two things. So I think an example of this is like your trackpad speed or uh, which surface you go to when you hit the TV button. Does it take you to home or does it take you to the TV app? Those don't give you a subsequent page. It just changes in place. And you click it once and you you see that it changes. It does a little bounce thing or whatever and shows you like, oh, this is different. You click it again, it goes back to the first thing. Like, oh, okay, this is a binary choice. It does hide some information from the user. They can't see every choice, but... If it's just a two-choice toggle, then it doesn't really matter all that much. But it seems even in that situation, pairing it with another sort of feedback mechanism, like in this case, the bounce, or you could imagine on a phone, like pairing it with a haptic or something, that will just add another layer of making this more and more clear to the user that, oh, okay, a view wasn't pushed, but it's not a bug. It's because we changed the detail label uh, because there's only two options and we're saving you extra taps. Yep. Heard, understood, and done for you. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned when you tap on something and there's a small number of options at the top, it sucks because they're, they're further away from your thumb and they're harder to reach. And that brings us to the next thing. Things at the top are hard to reach. <laughs> and our phone interfaces by default are oriented from top to bottom in terms of importance. Yep. People read from top to bottom, but we act from the bottom of our phone because that's where we hold it. So mm-hmm. we have this tension of, the primitive interface design. And actually, I think uh, this is where Samsung is doing interesting work in Samsung's latest interfaces, which is to basically shift all starting screens to the lower half of the screen. So nav bar actions are actually within reach uh, or even not having nav bar actions in the first place. And I think Apple's doing a lot of that as well. Like I think Photos app is a good example on iPhone where the segmented control for days weeks, years, and like all photos is is now at the bottom, uh, right above the tab bar instead of being at the top as a segmented control. Mm-hmm. So I think that will become more common. But uh, yeah, you would think, oh, most important thing needs to be in the nav bar at the top. It's the most common action. And I'm certainly guilty of this. I think most apps are guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything with a recent list. It's just harder to reach. Yeah, Yeah, it's always at the top. But You can use this to your advantage, can't you, Brian? Yeah, so this actually ends up playing well for destructive actions. And this is part of, on the Apple side, the HIG. I'm not sure about material, but for action sheets, uh, Apple recommends that all destructive actions are at the top of the list, which seems a little counterintuitive because you might think the top of the list is the most important or most common behavior or action that a user might perform. But in this case, we're saying, a destructive action at the top means it's further out of reach of the thumb, so maybe it's less likely to be accidentally tapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make it red, so it's obvious that this is a destructive thing, but in case people are colorblind, you also put it as far away from their thumb as possible. And if you notice, with this inverted order, you end up with cancel at the bottom, which is the least destructive thing. You're not changing anything, so like the top thing is just, uh, uh, go back. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so another thing that I thought of, this is number four, by the way, is people don't read full screen interstitials. So you would think that if you take over the entire screen of someone's mobile app to tell them something, whether that's an illustration with a little piece of text or or some sort of information about your product, you would think that 
the whole screen being taken over would grab people's attention and force them to read it. Mm-mm, that ain't how it worked because mm-hmm. people don't fucking read, Brian. Uh-huh. Uh, and especially with a full screen interstitial, they have a goal in mind. Usually it's opening your app to do something. And if you hit them with a FSI, as we call it in the biz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> full screen interstitial. Yeah, if you hit them with a FSI, then it's a roadblock for them, Right. They're not thinking about the thing you're telling them. They're thinking about the goal they were trying to achieve, yes. which is beyond the thing that you're trying to tell them. So they're just going to dismiss that thing as quick as possible and move on to achieve their goal. So it seems like it would be a great way to communicate information, but taint, Brian, taint. This reminds me of this problem of the more common a pattern becomes in the industry, the less effective it is for any given individual use case. So maybe the first app that ever used a full screen interstitial, everyone was like, oh, shit, like I'm going to read this. Uh But it's become so common that now if you get a full screen interstitial, your most likely first reaction is, how do I close this as quickly as possible? Because they're telling me some bullshit that's like marketing or trying to sell me something. Mm -hmm. Where's the skip button? Yeah. Same thing with like tooltips. And uh, now we have the problem with red dots and blue dots to indicate like, ooh, there's a new activity behind this thing. You should tap it. At this point, we just have blindness to it, banner blindness, essentially. Yep. And yeah, full screen interstitials certainly have succumbed to that. I think of, it reminds me also of the like swipe intros on apps, certainly more common on like Google properties. But here's three full screen slides of here's how the app will be useful. And people almost always just jump straight to the skip or sign in button right away. Like we don't have time to page through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think... This leads nicely into the next point on our list, which is that the way that you communicate a change of design can sometimes be just as important as the change itself. Hmm. So it's related because imagine you've built a tool that somebody uses every single day. They have a workflow. They have muscle memory for where things exist. But you know through metrics or research that for new users, this flow is very confusing or it's hard to navigate or you're trying to add a new feature and that requires reshuffling things. So what do you do? Well, it can be tempting to just ship the new version and you'll have, you know, an interstitial or a tooltip that says, hey, we did this big refresh. Welcome to our new and improved version. Mm-hmm. But often this is very frustrating to your power users or to people that have developed that muscle memory. So the way that you communicate or progressively introduce design changes is important. And I think a common pattern here is opt-in and the ability to opt-out. I think a very recent example is Facebook's redesign on the website. You can opt-in right now, and if you don't like it, you can opt back out. Basically saying, hey, this thing's coming. Do you want to try it and start seeing if you can get used to it? But if you need to navigate to things that you're used to navigating to, you can escape and uh, buy yourself some time. Uh, I know Gmail did this for a long time as well, right? Mm -hmm. All right, the next item on our list is... Oh, this is a good one. Okay. Type hierarchy overrides structural hierarchy. Yeah. All right. Let's describe this one. So you would think intuitively that people read from top to bottom. Uh And so if you lay out text from top to bottom, that is the order in which things will be read. But we can prove that this is not true Uh by simply changing a few variants of the text as you go from top to bottom. So for example... Imagine you have three rows of text. The first row is small and like a mid-gray. The second is large, bold, and dark gray. And the third is like um, in between the two, mid-sized, mid-gray. 
people will read the second row first, then the third row, then the first row. So they'll navigate mm-hmm. by type hierarchy, uh, like density, darkness, rather than strictly, yeah, top to bottom structural hierarchy. Yeah, totally counterintuitive. You would think top to bottom is how it goes, but yeah, this like hot spot of if you've ever seen a user study where they have vision tracking, it's fascinating and. People's eyes jump around to parts of the screen that you would not expect at times you would not expect. And there's a perfect example of this, which is a meme that I've I've seen floating around that we'll include in the show notes. You should check it out. But it's basically like there's five lines of text and it's like, you'll read this first in the biggest text and then you'll read this second and then you'll read this and then you'll read that, you know, and it's exactly right. The way your eye jumps around you're not, it's not directing you, okay, now go in the, look in the top left or whatever. It's, it's organically, you're jumping around to each text size and the order you read them in is the order of the size and prominence of each string. Right. right. Yeah. It's fascinating. So that's a good one. Do you want to do the next one, Marshall? Sure. Um, this is a tough one. So we talked about full screen interstitials before and one common design pattern you see is a, a full screen interstitial that tells you to swipe to go to the next thing. And a lot of times there are arrows associated with which direction you should swipe. And the screen is off to the right. Should your arrows point to the left or to the right? If they point to the right, the user is likely to swipe from left to right in the direction of the arrows rather than in the direction the arrows are pointing, if that makes sense. So you really want them to swipe from right to left because the stuff is off to the right, but you point with arrows off to the right that, hey, there's more stuff over there. (laughs) People swipe that direction, and they end up bouncing on the left side, not knowing that there's more. It's counterintuitive. I think the original iPhone, like, really went ham on on this, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they built a track. They, like, shimmered the text in a certain direction. They would bounce the little thumb slider. Like, they did so many things to say, nope, it slides in this direction. Go this way. Go this way. Mm -hmm. We have a a tweet that will be in the show notes from Gabe Valdivia, which is a perfect example of this from an app, uh, the Sweet Green app, where at the bottom it says, swipe to continue, and the arrows point in the direction where content will come from but it's confusing because if you swipe it'll obviously take you in the opposite direction so it's the whole natural scrolling problem right 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 all right the next item on our list of counterintuitive things is that uh yep iconography and colors are not universal uh this is the importance of having a global understanding a diverse team and Mm -hmm. not assuming that red and green mean good and bad like Cultures and geographies associate different meanings with different colors and and symbols. Yeah, exactly. And it, I, I love the point you make about diversity. It's like the only reason you know this is because you hire people who know this. Something other like the world is just America. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the things we do here are what people believe and understand everywhere else. Like, nope, 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 nope. There are different cultures, and different cultures have different understandings of colors and associations with different shapes and hand gestures and all sorts of stuff. Like, thumbs up don't mean good in other countries. You know what I mean? So there's a there's a proliferation of American things or like Western things throughout the world in general, as far as like adoption of of our cultural norms, like thumbs up, even though it might mean, uh, you know, an offensive term in your country, enough companies like Facebook and Google and everything have employed the thumbs up to mean, you know, good or like Uh that people uh understand that. But there are 
countless examples of other things that don't mean the same thing in other countries. And if you use those colors or those icons or whatever, they might be interpreted far different than you expect them to be. Yeah. Yeah. This is the reason why I really like traveling because I especially like trying to decipher international airports Mm. because airports is one of the few places in the world where your design of signage and iconography has to be so good that anybody from any place on the world that speaks any language could navigate from a gate to bag check to transit, right? Like you basically have these paths that anybody should be able to navigate based on either iconography or text alone. Mm -hmm. And seeing how different airports interpret that and like guide you either through uh, signage hanging from the ceiling or drawing arrows on the the ground. I, I just find that, really fascinating to see how how it's approached and uh basically a good challenge for yourself is anytime you're traveling is without reading anything could i navigate my way through this airport do i know to go left or right do i know how to get my bag well i'm so happy you brought this up brian we didn't talk about this beforehand but a little point of order a little housekeeping a long time ago i uh, mentioned that i was putting together an experts it was my cool thing i think one time i was putting together an experts playlist on youtube of experts talking about Hollywood versions of their expertise and rating those uh, those attempts at, at portraying their expertise. And the most recent video I have added to this list of experts doing things is slightly off from that general idea, but it's it's called it's from Wired. It's called Airport Expert Creates the Ideal Layout for LaGuardia Airport in New York. Oh. And it's an architect talking about how to design from signage and layout and everything all the way to how the planes uh, get to their gates and everything and the the user journey from front door to plane and from plane to front door and how all the signage and everything contributes to that being easily understood and reducing the number of choices. It's a fucking amazing video and I highly recommend it. We'll put it in the show notes, but uh, this ties in directly with what you're talking oh, about. I love it. It's okay. very important. Yeah, I want to watch that. All right, and we're coming up on our 10th point. Of course, we know this list has not been exhaustive. So again, send us what we missed. But our 10th point here that felt counterintuitive until you learn uh, the reason why is that when you're doing any sort of work in data visualization, specifically with graphs, uh, it might feel natural to indicate different pieces of data using different colors. Like, oh, this, this line should be red, this line will be green, this line will be blue. But as soon as you start getting down into the the path of accessibility, you'll quickly learn that people interpret colors different ways based on the mechanics of their eyes. And certainly when you get into color blindness, it could be the case that somebody perceives red and blue or blue and green to be very similar, meaning that those lines are not easily distinguishable. So what you'll see becoming much more common is graphs using one color where the differentiation is between the brightnesses used for each data point. So you could imagine a dark blue, a mid blue, and a light blue mm. to indicate three different pieces of, of information. And uh, that way, no matter what type of color blindness you might have, that brightness uh, or darkness is what guides you. Yeah, this uh, I'm going to make a video game reference here, Brian. So this reminds me of uh, Uncharted 4's multiplayer mode. So typically when you have a multiplayer game, the two opposing sides are represented by red and blue. Even in, and I think you said this wrong earlier, but usually it's red and green that get 
uh, confused for each other mm-hmm. in, in colorblindness. But red and blue uh, in any colorblind model are easily differentiable, right? So this is what all multiplayer teams use. Is like one, the enemy team is red and your good team that you're on is blue. But when Uncharted 4 came out, their multiplayer mode used red and green and they got a ton of feedback from players saying, I'm colorblind, I can't tell the difference between my team and the enemy team. Interesting, yeah. And they had to change it back to red versus blue, which is a Halo reference if you're old enough to remember that. Mm -hmm. It's like what, early 2000s? Yeah, early 2000s. This is like, uh, I want to say this is like a New Grounds, is that what it's called? Something like that, yeah, New Grounds. I can't remember exactly, Uh, but yeah, red versus blue. That's the list what did we miss? What did we leave out? What obvious things occur to you that we did not mention? Tweet at us. We want to hear them and we'll have that for follow up next week. Cool. All right. Let's get into cool things and, and wrap up. Let's do it. All right. My cool thing this week, I tweeted about earlier in the week. It's a blog post from someone whose name I probably will mispronounce, but I think it's Nikita Tonsky. Hmm wrote this blog post called Cleaning Up Form UI. So what he did is he found a launch dialogue for an IntelliJ product called Idea, which I've never used, but it's basically like a new project modal. And he took a screenshot of it and said, okay, on first glance, this interface is fine. Like it looks clean. You can sort of navigate your way through. It's it's okay. But the more time I spent looking at it, I noticed all these little things that were off. And so the blog post is this progression of explaining grids, typography, spacing, padding, margin, font sizes, and just bringing consistency to an interface. And so you get to the bottom as he sort of increments his way through, oh, like, what if we change this? What if we put this thing on the grid? And at the very end, you end up with this before and after where they look similar, but at the detail level, you notice all this really beautiful consistency and and vertical rhythm And I just found this to be a compelling blog post that explains things in a really clear way where, you know, even a a developer would come through and say like, okay, this is a practice that I can bring back to my own work to understand, right, consistency of margin or vertical rhythm or putting things on a grid all add up to make something that feels a little bit more cohesive and, and clean. So uh, we'll have a link to this blog post in the show notes, but I would love to see more of this kind of writing. I found this to be incredibly tactical and anybody could come in here and take something away for their own designs so uh, that's my cool thing for the week yeah this is how my brain works (laughs) as i read through this i was like yep yep these are the steps that's how i would think should we go further this way oh that's too far bring it back one you know what i mean this is great and i think if you're not a designer as some of you are not this is a great way to get inside the mind of a designer and how we think about systems and spacing and all this stuff. Like, this is is perfectly illustrative of designer brain. Sweet. Uh, what's yours? Cool thing this week, Marshall. All right, my cool thing is a series of YouTube videos because what? I don't recommend those. No. On what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so there is a YouTube channel by a man named Holden Hardman, which sounds like a superhero. Uh-huh. Right? It's got the alliteration. And his last name is literally Hardman. Anyways, uh, he has a friend uh, who counterintuitively is a gym guy. He runs his own gym. He's not named Hardman. It's it's the the soft guy who runs the channel. His name is Hardman. Anyways, uh, his weightlifting buddy apparently has never seen movies before. And so there is this long-running series, and I think it started with Star Wars, I want to say. Anyways... 
It's basically like, my friend has never seen movies. Let's watch these movies that everybody else has seen with my friend. Uh And everybody else loves these movies. It's everything from like Harry Potter and Star Wars to right now they're in the middle of doing, going through the entire chronological order of the Marvel Cinematic Uh, Universe. So he he just watched um, Iron Man and the first Incredible Hulk movie with uh, Edward Norton and now I think the most recent video that just came out a couple hours ago was Thor and Captain America. Okay. So it's a little frustrating because he hasn't watched movies before. He doesn't know what to watch for in movies. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like someone who doesn't understand music won't appreciate good music. They'll only appreciate what, what they inherently like, you know, because they don't have a full understanding of like what makes music good necessarily. Same thing here with movies is like, he doesn't appreciate a lot of the stuff that is appreciable, and he looks for things that are just his personal preference. So he hates some of these movies that are widely beloved, and I think the comments section gives him a pretty decent amount of hate, oh, no. and he understands it, and, but I mean, he doesn't really care. I don't think it affects him at all, uh, but it's really interesting to see what is it like for someone who's never watched a movie that I love before to watch that movie and kind of be there with him. He'll, he, he records uh, reactions as they're watching the movie. So major moments in the movie, he'll, he'll capture the reaction. Like, Luke, I'm your father. Like, oh. <laughs> I think he already knew that one. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but this is like one of my favorite things to do, especially with you. It's like, oh, you've never seen this movie? I fucking love this movie. Let's watch it together. I don't mind watching it for the 800th time. Yeah, yeah. I want you to experience it for the first time and be here while you experience it so we can like chat about it and I can see your reaction. So this is an entire series of that. <laughs> this is if just for you, Marshall. Perfect. Only your friend doesn't like the movie that you love. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a little frustrating. But sometimes, he, it, it, you know, it, it's the bitter that makes the sweet so good. It's like, because every now and then he does like a movie that I like and I'm like, oh, yeah. It's, if he just liked everything, it wouldn't be as fun. Right, so. right. That's a good point. Yeah. Anyways, Holden Hardman, link in the show notes. Check it out. Sweet. All right. Well, that's been episode 341. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, tweet at us. We love hearing from you and uh, give us some follow-up material, counterintuitive UX decisions. We would love to know more. Uh, Otherwise, if you want to support the show, hit us up on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash design details. For just a dollar a month, you get access to sponsor-free episodes and bonus content called Bonus Link. Bonus Bonus content, bonus content, bonus content. (laughs) Did I do it wrong? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was pretty close. (laughs) Um, Bonus Land episodes, we've got three of them out there and more on the way. So thank you everybody who's supporting the show. We really appreciate that. If you have your own question for us, go to our GitHub at github.com slash specfm. You'll find the design details repo in there and you can open an issue and that's going to be the best way for us to keep track of open issues. So thanks to everyone who's doing that. And thank you to Pavel for asking today's question. And of course, if you need more podcasts while you are stuck at home inside, mm-hmm. this won't age well over the years, but in this current moment, everyone is inside. Go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. Otherwise, uh, Twitter is where we're at. Hit us up. Follow us at Design Details FM, and we'll see you next week. Wash your hands. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I hope it was worth waiting for. Yeah, that was good. How's the 
mustache experience. <laughs> it looks like you trimmed it. No, actually, I haven't touched it since last oh. time. Actually, no, I've touched it a lot because I <laughs> <laughs> touch it with my fingers, not with any sort of clipping device. 